Section 4 of The Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Wetmore. Cottage14.blogspot.com. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Hazeldean Court. Hazeldean Court, Tuesday, 9th August. Dearest Mamma, there is a huge party here for the horse show, and I dare say I shall enjoy myself. We had no sooner got into the station at Paddington than in the distance I caught sight of Lord Valmont. I pretended not to see him, and got behind a barrow of trunks, and then slipped into the carriage and made Agnes sit by the door. We saw him walking up and down, and, just before the train started, he came and got into our carriage. He seemed awfully surprised to see me, said he had not an idea he should meet me, and apologized for disturbing me. But he said all the other carriages were full. He seemed so uppish and unconcerned that I felt obliged to ask him how he enjoyed his dinner with Aunt Maria on Saturday. He said he had enjoyed it awfully, and that Aunt Maria was a charming hostess. He asked me if I was going far down the line, or only just on the river. I said, not very far. I tried to be as stiff as possible and not speak, and I did not tell him where I was going, but, do you know, Mamma, there is no snubbing him. He said at once that he was going to Hazeldean Court to stay with his cousins of the Westaways. I said, indeed. And he said, yes, aren't they cousins of yours, too? And when I said yes, he said he felt sure we were related, and mightn't he call me Elizabeth? I just told him I thought him the rudest, most detestable man I had ever met, and if he spoke to me again at all, I should ask the guard to find me another carriage. He was awfully surprised, and said he had not meant to be the least rude. He thought it was the custom for cousins to call each other by their Christian names, and his name was Harry, just as if I did not know that after hearing Mrs. Smith calling him every few minutes. I said in a freezing tone that we were not related in any way, and I wished to read the paper upon which he produced every imaginable kind, lots of ladies' papers that he could not possibly have wanted for himself. I don't know who he expected to meet. However, I would not have any of them, but looked at a punch I had bought myself. You know that uncomfortable feeling one has when someone is staring at one. It makes one obliged to look up, so after a while our eyes met over the punch, and he smiled, and his teeth are so white. All he said was, I was thinking of the Clarks and the Clarks, and in spite of my being indignant with them, I could not help laughing when I remembered about them, and then it was hard to be so very stiff again at once. Just about this time, Agnes went to sleep in the other corner, and the moment Lord Valmon saw she was really off, he bent forward and said in such a humble voice that he was sorry he had offended me at Naseby. He had yielded to a sudden temptation, and he could only ask me to forgive him. He had quite mistaken my character, he said. He now saw I was a serious person, but he had been deceived by the dimple in my left cheek. Now isn't it provoking, Mamma, to have a dimple like that, that gives people the impression they may treat you with want of respect? I said I did not believe a word of it, and, as we were only the merest acquaintances, it did not matter whether I forgave him or not, and I hoped he would not mention the subject again. He then asked me if I was going to stop at Hazeldean until Saturday. So you see, Mamma, he must have known I was going there all along. Aren't men odd? 
you can't trust them one minute not to be deceiving you only i think on the whole i prefer them to women they can't copy your clothes at all events after that he seemed to think we had quite made everything up and went on talking in the friendliest way but i would not thaw he shall not have the chance of blaming my dimple again for any of his misconduct at last i said i hated talking in the train and pretended to go to sleep but i could not really get off because every time i opened my eyes just to see where we were i found him looking at me a large omnibus was waiting for us when we arrived and several more guests had come by the same train and we all drove to the house together they were having tea on the croquet lawn lady westaway and some other people and the eldest son's wife you remember what a fuss there was when he married how lady westaway had hysterics for three days well she looks as if she could have them again at any moment mrs westaway is awfully pretty she was lying in a swing chair showing lots of petticoat and ankle the ankle isn't bad but the petticoat had common lace on it she has huge turquoise earrings and very stick-out hair arranged to look untidy with tongs she smiles all the time and wears lots of different colors she calls everyone by their christian name and always catches hold of the men's coats or fixes their buttonholes or ties or holds their arms and whispers and everyone is in love with her, and she has the greatest success. So I can't think, Mamma, why you have always told me to never do any of these things when you want me to be a success so much. Her voice is dreadfully shrill, and such an odd pronunciation, but no one seems to mind that. I rather like her. She's so jolly, but some of the women of the party won't speak to her except to say disagreeable things. Jane Roos is here. She's been here since she left Naseby. Violet is at the sea, and she came up to my room as we were going to dress, and I've only just got rid of her. She told me that Mrs. Westaway was a dreadful creature, and that no one would know her if it was not for her mother-in-law receiving her, so they can't help it. And she could not understand what the men saw to admire in a low person like that. <laughs> but I can see very well, Mamma. She is as pretty as can be, and probably the men don't notice about the lace being common and all the colours and those things. I must go down to dinner now, so good-bye, Mamma, your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Hazeldean Court, Thursday, 11th August. Dearest Mamma, I shall be home with you almost as soon as you get this, but I must tell you about these last two days. The man I went in to dinner with the first night was so nice-looking, only he did not seem as if he could collect his thoughts enough to finish his sentences, and it left them sounding so silly sometimes but I found out before we had begun the entrees that it was because Mrs. Westaway was sitting opposite and he was gazing at her. She looked lovely, but not like anyone I have seen yet since I stayed out. She had a diamond collar and two ropes of pearls, Jane Roos said they were imitation, and her arms quite bare and very white, but her skin must come off because I could see a patch of white on a footman's coat where she accidentally touched when helping herself to potatoes. She had a huge tulle bow in her hair, and her earrings were big as shillings. Lady Bobby Pomeroy said afterwards in the drawing-room to Jane Roos that she could not take any more of her meals downstairs with this creature, and she would not have come, only that Bobby insisted, as he was showing some horses, and it's convenient. And so do you know, Mamma, Lady Bobby has never come out of her room since, except just to go to the horse-show, which she drove to with Mrs. Mannering and a hired fly. I don't call it very polite to the hostess, do you? 
this afternoon she amused herself from her bedroom window by shooting at rabbits just beyond the wire fence of the lawn with a rook rifle she did not hit any rabbits but she got a gardener in the leg and the man was very angry and bled a great deal and had to be taken away and i think it was very careless of her don't you lord valmond was on his way to the window seat where jane roos and i were sitting the first night after dinner but Mrs. Westaway caught hold of her husband's coat-tails as he passed, and said quite loud, "'Ducky, you must bring Lord Valmond and introduce him to me. We haven't met yet, and I want to know all your friends.' So Billy Westaway, who's as obedient as a spaniel, secured Lord Valmond, and presently we saw them comfortably tucked into a small settee together, and there they stayed all the evening. She kept licking her lips, as if he was something good to eat and the next morning she fixed a rose in his buttonhole at breakfast and called him Cousin Val. And by lunchtime it was plain Val, and now it's Harry. <laughs> I do call it bad taste, don't you, Mamma? She isn't half so pretty in broad daylight, and I don't like her at all now. Only I can't help laughing at Lady Westaway's face when Phyllis, that's Mrs. Westaway's name, says anything especially vulgar. Lady Westaway's shudders and takes a huge sniff at her smelling salts. She keeps them always with her in a long gold-topped bottle, and she has to use them almost every few minutes when Mrs. Westaway is in the room. The horse show was rather nice. It's held in the park fairly close, and most of us strolled there in the morning before lunch to see the judging. Lord Valmond joined us. I was walking with Lord George Lane. You remember he was one of the eleven at Naseby. I was in a very good temper, Mamma, and we have been laughing at everything we said. He's quite a nice idiot. But when Lord Valmond came, of course I talked as stiffly as possibly, and presently Lord George told him that he was singularly backward in copybook maxims, and that there was one he ought to write out and commit to memory, and it began with two's company, upon which Lord Valmond stalked on in a rage. The seats at the show were very hard boards, and the sun made one awfully drowsy, but about half an hour before lunch Lord Valmond came up again and asked me if I should not like to go for a turn. I thought I'd better so as not to get cramp. He said he had been afraid he would never get the chance of speaking to me. I was always so surrounded. I told him I'd only come now because of the cramp. I'm quite determined, Mamma, not to unbend to him at all. I was not once agreeable or anything but stiff and snubbing, and I am sure he has never been treated like that before. But it is awfully hard work keeping it up all the time, and when we got in to lunch I was quite tired. There were numbers of people at the show in the afternoon, and all in their best clothes. Lady Grace Fenton was showing two of her hunters, and she kept shouting to the grooms, and I did not think it was very attractive behaviour. She takes such strides, you would think her muslin dress would split. I don't know why it is that so many people in the country are ugly and weather-beaten, and all their clothes hanging wrong. Except the house-party here, and a few from other big places, there was not a pretty person to be seen. We had a special reserved tent for tea, and Mrs. Westaway seemed to have every man in the place round her, and I heard one man come up and say, Well, Phyllis, this is a joke to find you in this respectable hole. How do you like solid matrimony, old girl? And I do think that sounded familiar and rude, don't you, Mamma? But Mrs. Westaway wasn't a bit angry. She calls Billy Ducky, and continually pats and caresses him. He does look such a fool, and I should hate to be fingered like that if I were a man. One must feel like a bunch of grapes, with the bloom being rubbed off. Mrs. Westaway kept Lord Valmond with her all the rest of the time at the show, and then took him on the lake while we played croquet. 
Lady Bobby went straight to her room and sat by the window, and every now and then shouted advice to Lord George, who was playing with me. When we had finished, Lady Westaway took me to see the conservatories, and there we were joined by old Colonel Blake and Lord Valmond. I don't know how he had torn himself away from Mrs. Westaway. Jane Bruce says Mrs. Smith would be mad if she was here. He asked me why I had walked on ahead so fast on the way back from the show, as he wanted me to go on the lake with him instead of Mrs. Westaway. When he had suggested going on it, he had looked at me, but I would take no notice, and so he was obliged to go with Mrs. Westaway when she offered to come, and I was very unkind and disagreeable. I just said if he found me so, he did not speak to me at all. I did not care. We looked at one another like two wild cats for a moment. I'm sure he wanted to slap me, and I should like to have scratched him. And then Lady Westaway diverted the conversation by asking me if I thought I should enjoy my French visit. How everyone knows one's affairs! I said I hoped I should, and I was starting next week. Lord Valmond at once pricked up his ears, and said he would be running over to Paris about then, as he was not going to Scotland till September, and he hoped I would let him look after me on the way. I said I did not know which day I was going, probably Wednesday. So, as I am starting on Monday, Mamma, there will be no chance of his coming with me, which would annoy you very much, I am sure. Today we have done nothing but loll about and play croquet. Lady Bobby and the men and some other women went to the show again in the morning, but I was having a match with Jane Roos, and so we did not bother to go. This afternoon, when Lady Bobby began her rabbit shooting, it seemed so dangerous on the croquet lawn, especially after she hit the gardener, that we all went on the lake in the launch. We landed on the island, and somehow or other Lord Valmond and I got left alone in the Belvedere, looking at the view. The others went off without us, which made me furious, as I am sure he did it on purpose. But when I accused him of it, he said such a thing would never have entered his head. He had a nasty smile all the time in the corner of his eye, and did not take the least pains about trying to undo the other little boat which we found at last, although I kept telling him we should be late for dinner. He said he wished we had not to go back at all, that he thought we should be very happy together on this little island like Paul and Virginia. I cannot tell you, Mamma, what a temper I was in. I wish I'd never met him, or that he had not been rude at Naseby. It is so difficult to behave with dignity when a person has a nice voice and makes you laugh, although you are awfully cross with him inside. Then I have to be thinking all the time about my dimple not to let it come out, as that is what caused this rudeness, and with one thing and another it upsets me so that my cheeks are always burning when I am with him, and I feel as if I should like to box his ears or cry. And I hope after tomorrow I shall never see him again. He rowed so slowly when we did get into the boat that I offered to do it, but he would not let me. I would not talk to him at all. When we got to the landing I jumped out so that he should not help me, and gave my head a crack against the pole in the boathouse. I fancied I heard him say, Darling, have you hurt yourself? What a brute I am to tease you! But I did not wait for any more. I ran to the house as fast as I could, and as he had to tie up the boat, I was just getting into the hall when he caught me up. My head hurt dreadfully, and I was so tired and cross and everything that the tears would come into my eyes. I did not want him to see, but I am afraid he did. So before he could speak, I rushed on again and got safely to my room. I'm sure it is very rude to call people darling without their leave, isn't it, Mamma? I went in to dinner with a sporting curate who lives near, and he kept making his bread into crumbs on the cloth and then sweeping them up with a knife into a heap between every course. 
What strange habits people have. After dinner, Mrs. Westaway took Lord Valmond and sat in the window seat. And when he did get away and was coming over to me, I said my head was aching from the knock I gave it, and came up to bed, and as he has to catch an early train in the morning, I shan't come down until he is gone. I don't want to see him any more. It is too fatiguing, quarrelling all the time, and one could not forgive him and be friends, I suppose, after such behaviour as his at Naseby. Could one, Mamma? Now, good night. I am sleepy. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. P.S. I should hate to be a Marquis, always having to take the hostess in to dinner, no matter how old and ugly she is, just because a duke isn't present. End of section 4